Hello and good evening. Welcome to another episode of Between the Presets, a podcast by me, Rudy Stetner, that comes out every Monday evening. Here is the place where anything that can be said in polite company is fair game for discussion, even if it occasionally offends. Let's roll. Please be advised that this episode of Between the Presets contains material that may be unsuitable for younger audiences. If that is an issue, please listen at another time or on headphones. Thank you. Going to see Sound of Freedom was a deeply moving and upsetting experience. In many ways, the film could be compared to Uncle Tom's Cabin. It deals, both deal with uh, forms of enslavement. In one case, uh, slavery at large across all age groups. And Sound of Freedom focused, of course, on the enslavement of children. The movie was done in such a way that although it focused on two individual children, it also had a broader focus on larger groups of of, uh, children uh, centering around Columbia, the particular two children who were the stars of the film were from Honduras, but also showed the connection of this particular sex trafficking operation to consumers, if you will, around the world. And unfortunately, I'm ashamed to say, in the United States of America. A significant part of the action in the film um, took place in Cartagena, Colombia, which is a breathtakingly beautiful city. There is some beautiful photography in the film of some of the streets and vistas in that city. I know people who have been there, and uh, they came back with beautiful reports of what a wonderful city it was. I mention this because you can visit a place, you can live in a place, and people can be living across the street from each other, right next door to each other. One person can be living in peace and heavenly tranquility, and another person can be living in the depths of hell. This film focused on one family where a father and mother lost two of their children to sex traffickers. All too credulous, they were tricked by a velvet-tongued, smooth-talking model who was a front woman. It was made clear in this film that whatever the ending, whatever the outcome for these two children, that children and families are going through the same hell again and again. 
all over the world. That's not a consoling message, but this was a film with a message, and that was something that needed to be said and said again. The reactions of the legacy media versus the grassroots public reaction to the film, as well as the struggle that the makers of the film had in bringing it to the screen and to movie theaters all across America, was in a way as much of a story as the film itself. The film had actually been made five years prior to its July 4th debut. Disney Studios would not release it. It was boycotted in Hollywood. Why is this? One would think that um, ensuring the safety of children would be a cause that would cut across political lines, kind of like giving aid to earthquake victims or to war victims, just a humanitarian cause. One would think that a film that puts a human face on a worldwide crisis would be welcomed as a means of focusing public discussion on a serious problem with a daily body count. Unfortunately, that's not the case. Are Hollywood and the legacy media indifferent to this problem? And could one consider this indifference to be a form of complicity? Some of the film reviewers, most notably one in Rolling Stone magazine, compared stories of trafficking to QAnon conspiracy theories. This mainstream media complicity in covering up crimes is nothing new. Looking back into history, a little over 90 years ago, there was in the Soviet Union a forced collectivization of farms in Ukraine. Farms were taken over, and not only were farm implements and animals uh, confiscate, confiscated, but they even went into the farmers' personal pantries and took out bags of flour, leaving the people literally to starve to death. It is estimated that between 3 and 10 million people died of starvation in a two-year period from 1932 to 1933. The New York Times sent a reporter, Walter Durante, a high-living party animal who was wined and dined by the Soviet elite and came back with stories of from showcase collective farms where the people in the farm were happy and well-fed. He was awarded the Pulitzer Prize for his complicity with the Soviet government 
in a genocidal campaign of starvation that became known as the Holodomor, which is a Ukrainian word meaning forced famine. In the United States at that time, 32 to 33, was the Great Depression. And of course there was a misguided infatuation with communism that sucked in millions of people. Stories of atrocities, stories of starvation, and of failure of a demonic system didn't fit in with the political narrative. And because facts were brushed under the carpet, the truth was whitewashed, millions died. A truthful news media is part of our collective nervous system as a society, our collective brain. It enables us to get feedback from the decisions that we, through our governments, make. Censorship, suppression of facts, out-and-out -out lies such as those by Walter Durante, and shifting today, the dismissal of uh, child trafficking reports as QAnon theories, as conspiracy theories. This deceitfulness carries with it a body count. Thankfully, despite efforts to suppress Sound of Freedom, millions are flocking to the theaters. By different metrics, it's third place, it's in the, it's in the top three. And it's, its popularity is spreading by word of mouth, by familial social networking. The audience is composed of people who do not just want to see a movie. They want to make a difference in the world. In a sense, the audience and the growing popularity of the film, despite the resistance of the legacy media, is as much a part of the ongoing drama of the film as the film itself. Tim Ballard, the agent who is one of the central characters in the film, sadly to say, had to leave working for law enforcement and the government and stake out on his own to make a difference. Since this movie is based on fact, we should ask ourselves, why should this be? One hidden note of hope in the film that kind of sinks in as one watches it is how people banded together how divisions of race and language melted away in the face of a worthy cause. Most of the children were Indios, that means uh, of Indian descent in uh, Latin America. There were some um, Afro-Latinos. One of the best parts of the film was how a drug dealer who had done time in prison 
kind of stumbled across the uh, seriousness of child trafficking and uh, joined in the fight and joined with Tim Ballard in um, navigating the local environment in Colombia and became his staunchest ally. And what was the response of some of the legacy media's film reviewers who seemed to be out to do a hatchet job? One of them complained that the film promoted the myth of the white savior. Well, if I had to choose between being a white savior and being indifferent to the humanity of people who don't share the same complexion as me, um, I'd rather be a white savior myself. This film had a lot of subtitled Spanish. It sounded the note of rich predators preying on people with money and no money and no influence politically, socially, marginalized people. And it came forth with the resonating slogan, God's children are not for sale. The makers of the film, as well as some of the central actors, were devout Christians. And yet, the film managed to be a deeply religious film in a unifying sort of way. The film made it clear that the trafficked children in this film were feeding an international network, that people were willing to cross international borders to satisfy their desires. The film succeeded. It is one step towards restoring the balance where rescuers and protectors also are indifferent to international borders in seeing to it that every child born is guaranteed a future and a childhood. It's very easy to complain about the shallowness and depravity of Hollywood, the bias of mainstream media, the unsavory messages of television entertainment, Angel Studios, the people who released this film, are doing something positive. The public appetite for films that um, underscore our traditional values, our aspirations as individuals, families, and societies, this has never ceased to exist. I like to think of myself as a cultural secessionist. What that means is that I do not consume an unfiltered stream of entertainment. I will watch a Hollywood movie, haven't done so in probably over five years, 
But if such a movie is not a spiritual, psychological toxin, I will gladly watch it. Right now I watch old classical films, a lot of documentaries. I think life is just too amazing to, for the most part, have to uh, watch fiction, except that fiction can sometimes explore reality with greater candor and deeper honesty than a film that purports to be the real deal. Much of the world does not watch Hollywood films. They're considered to be corrosive of traditional values. Bollywood is way more popular than Hollywood in huge parts of the world. I personally enjoy subtitled Iranian movies. Why do I mention this? Because it's a shame that the broad mainstream of American entertainment has been uh, captured by forces hostile to Judeo-Christian values. Angel Studios represents a growing trend towards entertainment that affirms our traditional values. Just like in 1932 and 1933, when the New York Times and Walter Durante covered up the Holodomor, the Ukrainian forced famine, we have people today who are doing the same thing. Back then, as now, uh, there were journalists who were truth-tellers. I think it was Malcolm Muggeridge, who was a courageous journalist in the 1930s who exposed the Ukrainian forced famine. What was even more praiseworthy about Muggeridge was that he was he was with the Labor Party in Britain, which would be roughly equivalent to the Democrats in the United States. Yet he took he took the truth he took the train to wherever the truth would bring him. He had intellectual honesty. In his time, Malcolm Muggeridge was a crack in the wall of deceit. He was the light that's, that slipped through that, that crack. We have that today. We have newspapers like the Epic Times. And thank, thankfully, we have modern approximations of Uncle's Tom, Uncle Tom's Cabin, such as the film... The Sound of Freedom. Striving for individual as well as social perfection. Striving to bring light into the world and to make it a better place is something that unites us. With all the talk of intercommunal racial tension, ethnic tension, it's a beautiful thing to see differences melting away when we care about each other. Sitting in the movie theater on a Sunday afternoon, 
I felt I felt this energy. I felt this compassion. I felt the desire of people to make a difference in the world around them. This will heal us. This will sustain us. This will bring us to greater heights. I hope to see more films like this one. Because of the sensitive nature of this topic, I did put a parental advisory on this podcast. Although I am well within the standards of most social media in being restrained in discussing these sensitive topics, which should be discussed in every family. Unfortunately, we live in a world where people have to keep their wits about them. The film drives that point home that parents should not be too trusting and neither should children. Thanks for listening. God bless America and God bless us all. This wraps up another weekly episode of Between the Presets. I thank you all for the pleasure of sharing with me my weekly muse. Whatever platform you access, hitting like, subscribe, or leaving a comment is much appreciated. My email address is thewinterriders at gmail.com. Thewinterriders at gmail.com. Until next week, adio, which in some African languages means born on Monday or be righteous and closely resembles adios in Spanish.